I'd like to welcome you to Crosswalk. My name is Pastor Kennan, and I'd also like to welcome those who are joining us through our live stream. We're glad that you're all here, and as you just heard, we are kicking off our new Lent series, and it's called Full Circle, and this is all about the promises of God. We're going to talk about the Garden of Eden and Adam today, and I'll get to that in just a second. But just so that you see what we're trying to do in this series, is we're also going to talk next week about Noah and the Noahic Covenant. 2,400 years before Jesus, there was a covenant that is struck with Noah, and it secures the earth as a stage. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how we get to that point today. And this stage is the planet Earth, and it is the place of reconciliation for all created things. Then we're going to talk the next thing about the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to talk about that that's just 500 years later. This is about 1,900 years before Jesus. And, and this covenant secures the seed for enjoying the earth and all of the earth's blessings, all of the blessings of God. We're going to move on then to the Mosaic Covenant, to Moses, almost four or 500 years later, just 1,400 years before Jesus' time here. And this secures a set of standards. We call them often the law. And then we're going to go uh, and talk about how the Jewish people live by those laws. We'll then go to the Davidic Covenant, right? And that's about 450 years later, only about 1,000 years before Jesus. And how this covenant secures the sovereignty of a son from the bloodline of David and a throne that is promised to reign eternally. And then finally, we're going to work our way back to The Messianic Covenant, and I can't think of a better name for the Messianic Covenant because, friends, it is messy. It is messy, and it gets messy. It happens about 33 years after Jesus' time here with us begins on earth, and this covenant secures salvation from sin, and it's secured on the instrument of the cross, and so that will put us at our Easter time. Understanding the pattern of these Old Testament covenants and the new covenant in Christ is, uh, will reveal this full circle, right? That starts with Adam and then it comes all the way around back to the new Adam, to Jesus. But for today, we begin in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm going to be re- reading selections out of Genesis 2 and 3. And so if you have your Bibles, if you've brought them, I want you to open to those sections and you can read along with me. I also have provided here the message version up on the screen so that you can follow along that way as well. That's what we'll be using today. Now, let me catch you up to speed. In Genesis, of course, God has been creating stuff, right? And God has been declaring that the things that God is creating are very good. God creates heaven and earth and land and, and, and water and light and the uh, darkness. And then there's cosmos uh, that God creates, right? And all these things. And, and God forms man out of the dirt of the ground. And then God does what only God can do by God's spirit and breathes life into the man. And pronounced man, along with all of these other created things, as good. And then God gives man a purpose, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, if you're following along. God took the man and set him down in the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground and keep it in order. So we see here, right off the bat, God gives man instruction. Moving on, in 16 and 17, God commanded the man, you eat from any tree. How many trees? Any tree in the garden, except, except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. Now, we learn two things here, two important things. Adam is created good. That was also said back in Genesis 1:31. But through his obedience to God's command, Adam can even more fully reflect the glory of God. So all Adam has to do is obey this one command and can even more fully reflect the glory of God. So Adam's good, but Adam can do this other thing and even be better. Adam could also make a choice that would rob Adam of an eternal life with God as Adam knew it. Let's carry on in verse 18. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. Now, that man not be alone. This is the only thing in the whole Genesis narrative that God declares as not good. It is not good. (laughs) So God makes birds and animals and a companion for Adam. Now, I want you to take really special note of this because we're going to be coming back to this next week in the Noah story. These animals and birds and companions. Now, listen. God does the same thing that God does for Adam, for Adam's companion, and does what only God can do, breathes life into Adam's companion. And Adam is jacked about this. Adam is so excited. In fact, here's what Adam says in verse 23. The man said, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made for man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked. And then get this. But they felt no shame. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? A life of no shame? What would we do, friends? There would be thousands of psychiatrists and stuff out of work all of a sudden. A life of no shame? That must have been awesome. But man, it only lasted one minute. (laughs) Only a minute. But I also want to challenge you to see something that's even deeper going on here, right? There's something that's even more powerful, even more important, and that is that a stage is being set here. A stage is being set here for all these circles of covenants to play out on. And as the director, God begins to cast things onto this stage. And the way that God casts humanity uniquely is mind-blowing compared to all the other created things. God breathes life into Adam and Adam's companion and then invited them into a relationship with God, provided 
everything for them. Food. All the knowledge that they would need to have an abundant and eternal life in Eden, which is worthy in and of itself, right, of their worship. I mean, wouldn't you be, like, really pleased with God if God set those conditions for any of you? Like, I'm totally thinking that would be awesome. No shame. All the food you want. Hey, any of these trees, just not this one. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? But that's not how we roll. God has given them the ability to express love to each other. To uh, express love to God. God has given them the ability to, uh, to allow those acts of love to reflect in their care for God and for God's creation. It's a very purposeful life. And it expresses here in the Genesis story the fullness of God and God's glory. Now, why would God do all of that? Well, John kind of tells us this in the, in the Testament. God does this because God is always the initiator of anything loving, right? God's always initiating. John says we love because God first loved us. So God's initiating it. And then God gave them some rules for this harmonious, beautiful, eternal life with an invitation to a, a unique relationship with God, and it's all set up for one of those kind of happily ever after endings. <laughs> and then comes a fall that would send everything, everything crashing, except for the intervention and grace of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, be with us. Be with us as we journey this season of Lent. Help us, God, to see your covenants, to see ourselves in these stories, to see how they are relevant to us today. And God, most of all, help us to see how faithful you are when you initiate love and promises and you always keep them. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So this story in Genesis, it's a Genesis story, okay, but unfortunately, it's also the Genesis of sin. And it really boils down to this, like, who do you believe? Who do you trust? Who do you think is right? <laughs> now watch in this storyline as this pattern of sin becomes to unfold the first thing that happens, Adam and Adam's companion entertain some half-truths. This is three, one through three. A new cast member comes onto the stage. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God made. He spoke to the woman do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? It's half true. And the serpent knew it. The serpent knew exactly what he was doing to manipulate the woman. I think she may have naively believed that she was actually helping the serpent to understand, right? I mean, we all want to be helpful. So the woman says to the serpent in verse 2, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. 
It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden. And God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you will die. Now, Adam's companion, the woman, has helped set the record straight. She helped the serpent, right, to understand. And now he's about to help her right back. It was that easy for the trap to be set, just like that. And here's the second point of the pattern of sin, because here comes the big lie. In verse 4, the serpent told the woman, you won't die. You get that? You won't die. Is that what God said? No. God said you will absolutely die. What does the serpent say? You won't die. It's a lie. It's exactly the opposite. It confuses and it compounds and it makes very unclear then what God said, right? This is how the devil works, isn't it? You ever been in that place in your life where God tells us one thing? But then the serpent tells us another. It may not be a serpent. It may be someone else or something else or some other thing. Or it may be a lot of different things. But this is something that we face every day. So it's important. Because here comes the next step to the broken promise in the garden. And it's when distrust and disillusionment start to come from this lie. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, the serpent whispers to the companion, you'll see what's really going on. <laughs> you'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging from good to evil. Here goes the devil peddling his darkness. Now it's no longer just a lie about God, but it's also a lie about what is to come. <laughs> Reject this God of yours, woman. That God is just trying to keep you down, right? Trying to blind you of your real potential. Do what I say and you'll know everything. Everything. You'll be as smart as God is. <laughs> Even smarter, in fact. I mean, who needs God? You know what this sounds a lot like? <laughs> This is a lot like that uh, temptation narrative that happens a lot later when Jesus is in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so here's kind of the sad part of the story. This is kind of the last leg of that journey toward the broken promise. Then they fall into disobedience and discord with God. Genesis 3.6, the woman saw that the tree looked good and she starts eating it because she realizes what she's going to get out of it. She'd know everything. <laughs> she took and ate the fruit. And then she didn't just do it for herself. She gave Adam some too and he ate. Whoops. God reveals the covenant as a means of how God relates to God's creation, to us, to humanity, Adam and his companion make poor choices. And instead of keeping the covenant, they make some really poor choices. And they reveal to us a pattern that underlies all human sin since Eden. 
You know, we talked about sin earlier this week at our Ash Wednesday services. There was one in the morning, one in the evening, where the people who attended received the mark of crosses upon their heads. Ashes. They come from the palm fronds from last year's Palm Sunday service. And, and, and when we're in that Ash Wednesday service, we place the cross upon the head of the person, and then we say, from dust you came to dust you will return. Now that takes on new significance in light of this story. We say, repent of your sin. For you to do this, you must understand what sin is. And you must admit, we all must, that sin has consequences. If we do not admit that we are sometimes wrong, then we really have no need to gather and declare that God is right about anything. It wouldn't even matter. It causes Adam and his companion to get evicted from the Garden of Eden. And just as God told them, they incur a death sentence. They get evicted and sentenced to death. But the stage then is being set on earth now. A stage upon which God's redemption and salvation begins to play out. So when we mark that head and we say, repent of your sin, then we say, go and believe the gospel. It is not just evident in how God responds in this situation, but also how Adam responds. Adam could be a monster here, you know? He could be like, hey, woman, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks a lot for, <laughs> for that. But you know what Adam does? Adam does something very much in the image of God and replaces, renames Eve. No, not woman. Not woman submitted in shame to me for the rest of eternity or to us for the rest of eternity. No, don't name her. Don't call her woman. Call her Eve. Let's upright the relationship. The mother of all creation. The mother of all creation. Let's do what's right. Let's tell the truth about who she is. Let's restore her in this story. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's a knot in my throat. And yes, they get evicted from the garden. And yes, God slams down some fiery swords. And I don't even know what cherubim are, but I don't know. They're there too. A couple cherubim. But God doesn't remain in the garden. God, because this is how God rolls, walks right out of that garden with them. Right out of the garden with them. Why does it matter? <laughs> well, because God knew what was going to happen and had a plan, <laughs> number one. That's why. That's why it matters. Before God ever created, <laughs> God had a plan. Because God doesn't bully us 
into some kind of mindless uh, uh, mind meld of a life of predetermination where every left turn and right turn and time you chew bubblegum is something that God's concerned with, right? God gives Adam a companion, woman, the opportunity to more fully live in the glory and the fullness of God's grace by just saying, hey, could you just do this one thing? (laughs) Just obey me on this. God also gives them a responsibility. Hey, steward the things here, right? Steward the relationships here. Steward the ground here. See these animals care for them. Just do these things. You were made for it. Love God. Love others. Does that sound familiar? Love all. Thank you. Ten people passed the test. Amen. (laughs) Because God doesn't abandon God's children, that's why it matters. Even though they chose sin, God didn't abandon them. God walked out of the garden with them. God knew that our choices were going to come at a high cost. And there is no denial on God's part. God sees it for what it is. God told them, hey man, there's a real condition coming your way. It's going to be of everlasting death if you do this thing. And God still tells us, amen? God does tell us. But God doesn't choose to discard us, but instead comes along with us, watching over us. God's grace super active in our lives. I think about God's care so much. So many times I've been completely unaware of it, unaware of how I may not have had the wreck or may have avoided a crisis situation. So many times I've thought about what are the things that I don't even know that God's done for me, but I know them. (laughs) Because there was a time when I personally didn't even know or see God. (laughs) You know, and some of you might be there today, and I want you to hear this. God's grace is all around you. And God is wanting to awaken you to that. You know, the imagery that comes to mind for me is like an Olympic pool where everything is splashing around. Everybody is at a different skill level. Everybody is doing something uh, unique and different in the water. Some people have floaties. Some people have a raft. (laughs) What would you have, Dee Dee? Would you have a raft? Yeah, a raft. Okay. What would you have, Clyde? Would you might have? A sailboat. Wow, Clyde's not high maintenance. (laughs) I love you, brother. I want to be on your boat. Trust me. That would be cool. Thank you for not saying floaties, Clyde. But there's all different people splashing around, and the water is chaotic, right? But because God's grace is really active, yeah, all of a sudden, there's this beautiful deafening, and you realize that this all isn't going on without the care and love of God because there's Jesus Christ on the lifeguard stand. Amen? 
watching every single one of us, knowing every hair on our head, knowing every place we've ever stepped, knowing everything that we're going to go through and that we will go through, and cares and watches us intently, looking at us, just asking us to please know that he is the rescue. And then our eyes lock with Jesus when we become aware of this care and voila, that's when the magic happens and we can start moving closer and closer to the rescue that our God so richly wants us to have. That's what God is doing. God is trying to woo us toward God and away from these sinful choices, yes? But just like Eve, we want to know everything. (laughs) Just like Adam's companion, we want to know it all. Even if it means we don't embrace the truth. But see, we're dealing with a God who does know it all. (laughs) That's why we gather. That's why we worship. Is to declare, God, you're right. You know it all. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but we don't like the rules. (laughs) You know, we don't like the rules. But what about this tree that you won't let me have? And God's probably looking at us going, yeah, but what about all these others (laughs) that I gave you? (laughs) What about all that? I just ask you to do this one thing so that you could more fully manifest my glory. Just so that you could show, hey, you're, you're loyal to me, you need me. And some of us, we expect God to bully us into this, right? But you know what? That's not a representation of God. That's not fair. That's not true. God's not going to bully us. We would do that. (laughs) But God won't. And therefore, our outcomes aren't as predictable as they are with us. Sometimes we just refuse. We refuse this call to embrace this loving of others in all creation this loving of god and so we start idolizing our thought the way we arrive at decisions we like to decide who's lovable we like to decide who's unlovable we like to be god we're not content with just being like god (laughs) but you know here's what that does that opens an opportunity for us to be bamboozled by the serpents, right? Trust me, I know. It happens. But you know, thank God that the word of God says that God's grace is sufficient. (laughs) It overrides all my bad choices. It overrides all my bad decisions. It overrides the fact that I broke the promise and that my sin crucified Jesus Christ on the cross because God's grace is sufficient. That's the good news. That you're free to choose it. That you're free to choose it. That you are free to do what our baptismal vows say and that you can reject and take authority over evil and wicked forces in your life and move towards the rescuer. (laughs) It's true that sin distances us. 
It's true that our sin crucified the Son of God. But God knew that this is what we would do. (laughs) In response with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is not bullying us into him. No, no, no. God is loving us into him. And God is using you to do it. (laughs) That makes me excited. Adam and Eve messed up, you guys. We mess up, you guys. Our ideas too often lead us to rejecting God, to rejecting the stewarding of loving relationships, and instead we embrace and idolize our thoughts. We're too often misguided, believing that we know better than God does. And in our freedom, we choose sin, but that's not the end. With God's covenant, initiated by God, comes another genesis, the genesis of God's grace. And it's clear as a bell. God allows us to make good choices. It's clear, too. It's not fuzzy like the serpent was. We are free to reject sin and evil. And the psalmist says it like this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. On Wednesday, a representation of our church gathered together, and we told each other the truth, didn't we? That we're all going to die. We marked each other with ashes on our foreheads in the sign of a cross, and we offered these words. Remember this from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. It was good, it was holy, it was true. Only hours later, the planning began for 17 persons to be buried out of Parkland, Florida, after being killed in another mass shooting. Graveside officiants all week long having to stand over coffins and say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's not good. It's not holy. It's a lie. We must connect the dirt on our foreheads with the dirt on those coffins. We must repent. And we must turn back to God. We must take note of the direction that we are going and listen and notice the grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Mass shootings are the wrong direction. Inaction and complicity are the wrong direction. Every kind of sin is the wrong direction. 
it's time to turn back to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ and the truth of God's unfailing promise and of God's unfailing love. Will you pray with me? Another week of hard news. Another group of our brothers and sisters devastated. Blood spilled in the halls of yet another building. If it's not our schools, it's a church. If it's not a church, it's a battlefield. If it's not a battlefield, it's some other place. We comment. We get passionate. We spew rhetoric. And yet, we do nothing. It's not what you want. You called us to do justice. You called us to stand with the oppressed and the persecuted. Oh, God. God, help us to turn back to you. We cry. We weep for children, teachers, coaches, everyday ordinary people like us. We mourn for people who had to run by their dead classmates, by their dead co-workers. By parents who'll never see their children again. God, help us to turn back to you. but help us also to stand in the promise of knowing that death does not get the last word. We will not accept it. Guns, we will not accept it. Hatred, we will not accept it. Violence, we will not accept it. You came so that we didn't have to. No, you get the last word. You win. I believe you. I trust you.